And altimeter data confirms that Ingenuity has performed its first flight, the first flight of a powered aircraft on another planet. On the 19th of April, NASA's Ingenuity helicopter lifted off from the surface of Mars in a history-making first flight. The small, drone-like rotorcraft climbed three meters into the thin air, hovering for 30 seconds before touching back down in the Jezero crater. It was the first controlled flight by a powered aircraft on another planet and was hailed as a Wright Brothers moment, akin to the achievements of Earth-bound aviation pioneers more than a century ago. Engineers at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, the JPL, where Ingenuity was designed and built, endured a nervous wait as telemetry data arrived back on Earth after a 289 million kilometre journey from the Red Planet. They were able to prove that powered flight was possible on Mars, despite its incredibly thin atmosphere. Another groundbreaking first for science followed a day after. A gold device about the size of a car battery on board NASA's Perseverance rover, called MOXIE, created oxygen out of that same thin atmosphere. Where previous missions have focused mainly on answering long-held questions about our mysterious celestial neighbour, like has it ever supported life, or can we find liquid water there? This new generation of experiments and technology demonstrators has begun to pave the way for the eventual human exploration and even colonization of Mars. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm Arthur Scott Geddes, and this week we're talking about the latest wave of pioneering science missions on Mars, which are helping to usher in a new era in the exploration of the solar system. We'll be talking to some of the scientists and engineers behind the groundbreaking missions, that are helping to set the stage for the first human steps on Mars, to find out how they did it and what comes next. But first, be sure to subscribe in your podcast app to get all the latest episodes of Beyond the Headlines. Mars is of particular interest to scientists because it is the most habitable planet in the solar system after Earth. Despite its harsh environment, the planet has almost everything that humans would need to survive there, with the help of technology of course. Around 3.5 billion years ago, the planet is believed to have been much like the Earth, with a thick atmosphere and liquid water carving out huge valleys and basins that can still be seen today. But over time, the planet changed into the freezing desert world it is today. Exploring Mars helped scientists to understand the great shifts in climate that can fundamentally change planets. We can also look for signs of past life, and could even find out if it still exists on Mars now. Humans have sent dozens of robotic missions to Mars since the 1960s. In the earliest missions, spacecraft flew past the planet at high speed, taking pictures and using sensors to gain as much information as possible. Later spacecraft were able to orbit the planet, and more recently, we've been able to land rovers on the planet to explore its surface. Ingenuity's first flight may have only lasted 39.1 seconds, but just getting the 1.8 kilogram helicopter off the ground at all on Mars posed a serious challenge. Though the force of gravity is weaker, the Martian atmosphere is less than 1% as dense as that on Earth. The atmosphere is so thin, in fact, that flying on Mars is roughly equivalent to attempting to fly at an altitude of 100,000 feet on Earth. To put that into perspective, the cruising altitude of a jet airliner is about 36,000 feet, and the highest a helicopter has ever flown on Earth is about 40,000 feet. In order to generate enough lift to fly, 
Ingenuity needed much larger rotor blades spinning at incredibly high speeds. Its twin carbon fibre blades spun at around 2,500 RPM, or about 40 times a second. That's five times faster than the blades on a normal helicopter have to spin. Because of the vast distances involved, Ingenuity also had to be able to carry out the flight autonomously, following a simple set of instructions pre-programmed by engineers. It also had to contend with freezing cold temperatures and high levels of radiation. Loai El Basuni, one of the lead electrical engineers who helped design and build Ingenuity at the JPL, explained why Mars is such a hostile environment for small robotic explorers. From another perspective, is actually the environment. You know, this is something maybe everybody could understand. I mean, it's like Death Valley or the desert. Oh, that's really nice weather. You know, that's basically, <laughs> that's just a good spot in comparison to, to Mars. I mean, Mars, the nicest, warmest place in the summer. It's like it's about negative. It could be a negative 100 degrees C. In the daytime, it could go up to zero degrees C. So that's by itself. I mean, understanding electronics on Earth, most of them designed to work at negative 40 degrees C as the coldest temperature, you know, most of them like aerospace or like automotive parts. So that's another challenge. So, I mean, like when you're designing robotics, the main big thing, let's say we're just doing the electronics by themselves. I mean, the biggest two things, temperature environment and also the radiation, that's basically make it, the design itself is so different than what we're designing for Earth. Even surviving its first night on the planet after it was deposited on the surface by Perseverance was a big moment. But that was nothing compared with the relief when the data came back showing the first flight was a success. I was watching the, the live feed coming in and I, as the engineer was like, the pilot was reading the feed and he's like, take off, three feet, like five, ten feet. Like it was like reading the stat. I was like, oh my God, it succeeded. I was like, it's almost like it's an unbelievable moment. And then it landed and they say, all's good. And then all of a sudden we get pictures back. I was like shouting in the middle of the night, you know, because I was watching from home. It was, <laughs> I mean, it's indescribable. I mean, I, I didn't even think I would be like that excited and that happy. And at that moment of time, I felt like I was part of history. Reaching Mars is an accomplishment, surviving the NASA's accomplishment, but being part of history, you know, like literally to be said, not only the attempted flight on Mars, succeeding in flying on Mars is just an incredible feeling. Ingenuity has now flown five times, each flight more ambitious than the last. In its fourth flight, it flew faster and further than ever before, travelling 266 metres and reaching a top speed of 13 kilometres an hour. Perseverance actually captured video and audio of the flight for the first time. What you can hear there is the sound of the wind in Jezero Crater. Then, you should be able to hear a faint humming which is the sound of ingenuity taking off. Here's Laurie Glaze, the director of NASA's Planetary Science Division, speaking after that flight. The videos uh, of ingenuity flying on Mars that Perseverance has captured and shared with the world are, are truly spectacular. Um, and the in ingenuity technology demonstration, demonstration is a huge success. We're They've done an amazing job and they've met all three of the goals that NASA set. The tiny helicopter has been so successful, in fact, that NASA recently announced it was extending Ingenuity's mission by another 30 days to explore how it could be used as an aerial scout for its larger robotic companion, Perseverance. Ingenuity's service life was rapidly drawing to a close, with the 30 Martian days allocated to the test flight program due to run out at the beginning of May. Ingenuity's fifth flight 
was the first as part of the new testing regime and the first one-way trip. It took off from the landing site it had used for all of its previous flights, which the JPL's engineers have named Wright Brothers Field, and flew 129 metres south to another landing site, chosen with the help of pictures taken during previous flights. NASA hopes that Ingenuity's successors will help humans to explore Mars and other parts of the solar system in the future. Luai Elbusuni is excited about what the future holds for Ingenuity and for the other rotorcraft that might follow it. That was a really big moment. We exceeded all expectation. We met all original mission of like validating flight and gathering data. And after the from the first three flights, the fourth flight was already it was already in the, on the new mission by collecting a lot of pictures, approximately I think between eighty to hundred picture. They could be used for scouting and, and navigation application. That's really exciting because now we can see. And actually, like the helicopter exceeded even like performance limits. You know, right, you know, by flying about one hundred seventeen seconds. Originally, I think they thought look, the limit about 90-second flight. It's, it's really nice to see that. I mean, there's a lot of things that helicopter can play. I mean, it could be just a simple scout for the rover. As you probably understand, like the rovers cannot go over cliffs. No, there is a GPS system on Mars with satellite imagery that they could see where they're going. So it could help in the navigation, like seeing off cliffs. That just as a scouting or for scouting application. But for in the future, that could be one option. The other option could be instead of sending a rover, you could send a helicopter. A helicopter could actually be the full rover, you know, including like all equipments. And that's going to give it access to valleys, going to give it access to more different sites. We're not going to be stuck into the one crater. You can imagine it's like an endless possibilities. And also possibly like for future human missions, there's a human mission. Human could have a helicopter or some type of drone. Ingenuity hitched a ride to the Red Planet on board the Perseverance rover, which touched down on February the 18th after a journey of nearly seven months. At three metres long and weighing 1,250 kilograms, Perseverance is the largest robotic explorer ever sent to Mars. Its size, it's about as big as a car, means it can carry a scientific payload more than 50% larger than previous rovers, including a record 25 cameras and microphones. Though the rover's main objective is to search for evidence of past life, NASA is planning a crewed mission to Mars in the 2030s, and Perseverance has also begun to test technologies that could one day be used to help human beings explore the planet. One of the experiments Perseverance is carrying is the Mars Oxygen In-Situ Resource Utilization Experiment, or MOXIE. On the day after Ingenuity's first flight, it too made history on Mars, creating oxygen out of thin air. This is Dr. Michael Hecht from MIT's Haystack Observatory. He's the principal investigator on MOXIE. I asked him why we need to be able to make oxygen on Mars. On Mars, of course, there's no oxygen in the atmosphere. On Earth, we take for granted the fact that we have oxygen all around us, And it's a key element in any reaction that we use, in particular to get energy, to get power. When we burn fuel, whether we're talking about people, you know, (laughs) our fuel being food, whether we're talking about cars or whether we're talking about rockets. Rockets burn a lot of fuel and use a lot of oxygen. In fact, they use several times more oxygen than they do fuel. That's the motivation behind MOXIE. We don't have that resource on Mars. Uh, Mars has carbon dioxide in its very thin atmosphere, but almost no oxygen. 
uh, enough for some chemistry, not enough for us to use. So if we want to launch rockets from Mars, which we will certainly want to do when we send a human crew there someday, because we want them to come home, um, we will need a large, large supply of oxygen, much more oxygen than the actual fuel itself. And of course, the astronauts themselves need some oxygen. That's not so much, it turns out, compared to what the rockets need. So the, the objective of MOXIE is to supply that oxygen without having to, um, without having to bring it all the way from Earth, which would be extraordinarily expensive. We know how complicated and expensive it is for us to send our own little robotic probes to Mars and imagine sending 25 tons of oxygen as just one part of a human mission. So we'd like to make it there. The MOXIE device is based on the same technology used in fuel cells, which generate electricity from chemical reactions. MOXIE does the same thing, but runs in reverse, using electricity to break down carbon dioxide, which makes up around 96% of the Martian atmosphere, and turn it into carbon monoxide and oxygen. Like Ingenuity, MOXIE is a technology demonstrator and was meant to prove that creating oxygen on the Red Planet was possible. But as Dr. Hecht explains, that doesn't mean we're ready to support human exploration efforts just yet. The scaling up for the mission we envision for astronauts is about a factor of 200, which sounds like a lot. And I'll explain why it's not as scary as it sounds. So first of all, what did we make on Mars? We made in our first run, in our first run, we made a little over five grams of oxygen. Now that would keep a person active and healthy for maybe 10 minutes, okay? And that's a person, that's not a rocket. Uh, so we're very far, of course, from the, from the 25 tons uh, that we would like to make in that full-scale mission. Two major things are different um, other than the size of the, of the instrument. It turns out the size of the instrument and its capacity to produce oxygen is a fairly easy scale-up, that factor of 200. The two things that are different, first of all, is that uh, MOXIE is only, only ran for, made oxygen for an hour to do that. To do the 25 tons, we're talking about 10,000 hours. So that's a lot of the, you know, a good chunk of the difference right there. In other words, 10,000 hours is a year. So the idea is that we would deploy this instrument long before the human crew even launched from Earth. And we'd spend a year filling up the oxygen tank and then tell the crew, okay, we're done. Everything's ready to go, you know, and you can launch. Uh, that's the first thing. So scaling up from an hour to a year. The second thing is power, which we have right now no control over. The, the entire uh, Perseverance rover runs off of a power system that puts out 110 watts. You know, it's, it's a light bulb. <laughs> it's astonishing we're running something the size of a car on 110 watts. Uh, but that's all that's available for MOXIE. And when we do this other job of making 25 tons of oxygen, we will need a power plant that puts out 25 to 30,000 watts, kilowatts. So that's the second large thing that has to change. Making the bigger instrument capable of producing 200 times as much, um, that's fairly straightforward by comparison. The arrival at Mars of the UAE's Hope Orbiter back in February heralded the start of a new chapter of the exploration of the Red Planet. Perseverance and China's Tianwen-1 mission followed hot on its heels, 
and together they promised to revolutionize our understanding of the Red Planet. All three of the latest missions to arrive at Mars started the journey during the launch window in 2020, when the positions of the Earth and Mars meant a shorter journey was possible. The next launch window will arrive in 2022, when European and Russian missions to the Red Planet are scheduled to take off carrying new experiments. SpaceX, a private company, is also working on Mars exploration. Its chief executive, Elon Musk, said that a first uncrewed mission to the Red Planet, using its Starship spacecraft, could happen as early as 2024. Scientists are reaching the limits of what they can do remotely, however, and the next milestone on Mars will be getting samples of the Red Planet back to Earth, where they can be studied in laboratories. By 2031, the European Space Agency and NASA are planning to carry out a sample return mission to retrieve the samples of Martian soil, known as regolith, collected by the Perseverance rover. China's rover, which is due to touch down on Mars in May, will also be tasked with collecting and storing samples for a return mission in the 2030s. The return of samples from Mars is seen as a significant step on the road to human exploration. But it would be more ambitious than any previous mission to Mars, with the joint NASA-ESA scheme requiring two new launches, one to land a new rover on Mars to collect the samples before blasting them back to Earth using a small rocket, and another to send up a spacecraft capable of catching the samples in Martian orbit and getting them back home in one piece. But, after the success of recent robotic missions to the Red Planet, like Perseverance and the Curiosity rover before it, scientists and engineers are increasingly confident that it can be done. Here's Dr. Hecht. I think we've turned a corner uh, with Perseverance in thinking beyond the immediate mission. We've done this in two ways, uh, at least uh, maybe three ways that are immediately obvious. The first one is investing so much of the mission into sample return, saying we've kind of done a lot of what we can do in Mars with a robot. You know, we're reaching the end of that tether. And so one way we'll, we'll uh, move forward is to collect samples for sample return. We've never done that before, but Perseverance will collect and deposit those samples for for return for analysis in very capable, far more capable Earth laboratories. And that mission, that follow-up mission, the international retrieval mission is already being planned. Uh, that's one way. And the second way, of course, is with MOXIE and other technologies like the terrain relative navigation that are preparing for the next step yet, which is for humans to go to Mars. And that's two ways. And I suppose you'd say that a third indication of the the change in the in the level of confidence, if you will, has been ingenuity, has been, well, yeah, we've done a lot with rovers. Let's see what else we can do. Let's see if we can fly. You know, this mission is in, you know, metaphorical ways, maybe spreading its wings in a way that we've never done before on Mars. Um, you know, we it's not it's not all about, you know, wow, we made it, we landed, we're okay, we're safe. It's much more about, it's much more ambitious now uh, that, that that confidence and the ability to do that has so greatly improved. So certainly what we can learn in laboratories from the sample return excites me tremendously. I spent most of my career as a laboratory scientist uh, doing materials and, and uh, you know, vacuum, uh, ultra high vacuum analysis of material surfaces and all sorts of esoteric things like that before I turned my attention to exploring Mars. So that's got to be, uh, you know, that's a tremendously exciting thing. But frankly, 
participating in a mission like this. You know, every day brings something new and unexpected. This is a whole planet. We sometimes forget. You know, we talk, for example, about Mars time. Well, heck, we're not on Mars time. We're on Jezero crater time. Mars is a whole planet with lots of time zones, just like Earth's. And we're exploring one little spot. And we've explored the number of spots we've explored. You can count in your fingers. And every place we go is something new. And uh, how can you get more exciting than that? Thanks this week to Loai Elbasuni and Dr. Michael Hecht. Don't forget to subscribe to Beyond the Headlines to hear all the latest episodes. We were produced by Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan.